1: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Sure is. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of of Your 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 Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. Oh my gosh. I can't even (laughs) speak right now. It's amazing.
2: Well, um, as is. As was the case in the mini episode, we are still recording separately as I am struggling with a cold, so if things sound a little different, that is why, unfortunately, we are not together.
1: But we have a great topic for you today. This is something that has been on Madigan's list. I feel like for a while you were the first person to introduce this topic to me because Uh, This isn't something that I had really thought about before as kind of like a pervasive thing until I'd really like stopped to think about the fact that brands do this to varying degrees. Um, I think that it had occurred to me like growing up how much certain brands affected my self-esteem and my self-worth. Right, um, You know, kind of those like bigger brands that we're going to get into that were very, very prevalent in the like early 2000s, like when we were kids, like in middle school and high school,
0: uh-huh. things
1: like Victoria's Secret and Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister, like those brands and how kind of what they were perpetuating was this ideal in quotes, you know, as far as, like, body type was concerned. Yeah. And and tying that to,
2: like, class and 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 other things. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, I started doing my research on you know, just focusing on clothing companies and body shaming. But every time you read anything about a clothing company that fat shames and is very outwardly body shaming, typically you will find a lot of very racist, misogynistic undertones within that company as well. Like they really do go hand in hand. So I think that there's there's so much responsibility that we need to keep on our brands because, you know, we discuss so often – Um, how media had affected us growing up, especially looking at magazines and commercials and ads and things like that. I mean, I always remember the Calvin Klein ads were like really ingrained in my memory, especially in the 90s. I talk about that a little bit later in my notes as well. But you know, there, there are certain things and certain images that were really heavily perpetuated when we were children, where we think of, you know, the model in the ad, but we don't always think about the brains behind all of those things. And that is the brand that is creating this world of their customers and what they want their customer to look like and who you have to be in order to be worthy enough to wear their clothes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's fucked up. (laughs) It is, it is definitely. And before we get into kind of like talking about, these brands specifically, um, and getting kind of deeper into these issues, I do want to say that we are going to be talking about bodies in this episode. Um, We're going to be talking, I know that I have some numbers and things in my notes. So if that is something that is triggering for you, if you are struggling, if you don't, if you don't want to hear about uh, that kind of thing, then this might be an episode that you want to just skip altogether. So I just want to say that off the top, you know. Not trying to trigger anybody over here.
2: Definitely not. And I think also along with this episode in the show notes, I will add some resources for everybody just in case they feel like they need some support or maybe they, um, you know, learned something about themselves within this episode and they need to reach out for some help. We will give those resources for that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I, I know that every generation kind of struggles with their own, um, their own body issues that have to do with whatever the beauty standard is, whatever at the time. that
2: aesthetic is, right? Right?
1: Yeah. And so I know that there has been a lot said. I mean, we had an entire episode kind of talking about social media and face filters and body filters and what that does to you psychologically. Uh, And I know that a lot of Gen Z kids, a lot of people on the Internet right now struggle with their own self-image. But I think in doing my prep for this episode, what I found to be really triggering for myself was that a lot of these brands and a lot of these these things that we see as as body shaming in brand culture, while it still exists, absolutely now today, the prevalence of it throughout the 2000s, um, because it was so tied to the beauty standard at the time, which was uh-huh. very like, thin, very yes. like, thin, flat. And that kind of makes me nervous. Because I'm seeing a lot of those fashion trends come back. I'm seeing yes. the the beauty standard shift again. And not to say that one is healthier than the other. It's just I have a it triggers me personally because it was from my like upbringing. Right.
2: Um, right. Well, there is that there has been a culture of celebrating extreme thinness in in the past and I do touch on one era in particular because it was one that was very like memorable to me and like very noticeable to me at the time and that was the heroin chic era of yeah, the, 90s. the 90s. Yeah, it was very um androgynous, dark circles under the eyes, very 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 emaciatedly skinny. Like um, frail.
1: I mean it was basically like you wanted to look frail. And
2: and, and like you were on drugs like that was part of the grunge culture. Like there was that was the whole culture of the 90s. And the model that kind of started this whole trend was um, a woman by the name of Gia. Is it Karang, Karangni? I can't. I feel like I'm going to say her name wrong. And she's yeah, like a supermodel. Gia model. though.
1: She is a, a supermodel. Angelina Jolie played her in a movie. There's a wonderful. Yeah, in the movie Gia. Yeah, but yeah, the one the that great. like
2: the one that I always remember is Kate Moss. But another one was Jamie King. Essentially, anybody that was around these three photographers, two in particular who were called the Sorrenti brothers. They were these photographers that really made this like almost. Cut and paste, grunge, teenage thing, cool. And it kind of catapulted into mainstream fashion design like it had never had before. And it kind of put that very young, waif like, drug induced image kind of on the map until. And I'm really fascinated by the story. So I like know a lot about it. But David Sorrenti was actually only. 21 years old when he passed away of a heroin overdose, which kind of started the end of that whole Mm -hmm. era. But it then went into the 2000s, which still very much had that same kind of vibe, but less like heroin induced. Well, yeah, the thing is
1: like the thing that makes that really interesting to me is that in the nineties, that whole heroin chic kind of grungy thing, you were wearing like bigger baggier clothes. It was just on a much frailer Frame. You
2: almost looked like a hanger,
1: right? With the clothes on you. Yes, and it was more of a like aesthetic as far as like your body frame being that kind of like very thin, frail frame. Yeah, and I think almost less than the
2: clothes that they were wearing, but more so the frame in which was wearing it.
1: I think coming out of that, the fashion industry kind of went in a different direction. And the beauty standard went in a different direction because it became about health, right? So that's what it was all about in the early 2000s. It was like, you wanted to be Britney. You wanted to have six pack abs because she did literally a thousand sit-ups every day. You wanted to look like Jennifer Aniston, which was like very like strong, like, and you want to be tan. You wanted to look healthy. You wanted to look like you had (laughs) muscle. You wanted to be
2: very tan. We all wanted to be very, very tan.
1: Right, but along with that, it was like you, you, you were it was, only. It was the
2: yogis and the green
1: smoothies. Right, the and pilates the pilates. Yeah, you only all of that
2: kind of evolved, yeah. Yes,
1: and so you were only of value physically if you looked like you were in this kind of very top shape. And so along with that, went with clothing that was very tight and short, like very, very low rise jeans. That's why I fear the low rise jean trend coming back. Like I feel right. like I feel like a lot of Gen Z are making fun of millennials for like being like you will, you know, you can rip my high waisted jeans out of my fucking cold dead hands. Right. Because- for real. <laughs> Because we're traumatized by low rise jeans because it And wearing low rise jeans
2: with crop tops, traumatizing. Right,
1: because it it required you to have a very flat stomach or it didn't require you to, right? Like that was but that was the beauty standard was like if but you're But that was to wear the message this, that
2: was being sent, mm-hmm, right? Then you
1: need to look like Christina Aguilera. You need to look like Britney Spears. Uh-huh. right, because that's what those jeans are supposed to show off is like right this like ideal right which was very damaging i think to a lot of us and yeah for i know it was a big um issue for a lot of women of color who have like naturally curvier bodies in general or anyone who had hips and a butt like try wearing super low-rise jeans <laughs> It's not gonna when you work. Have, like, hips yeah. in butt, you and butt. And that's why
2: the whale's tail became popular. I'm mm-hmm. just kidding. I'm just and rolling with it.
1: <laughs> as we're about to get into these brands made you feel like shit if you didn't look like that. They were like yeah. buy our clothes, but also make sure you look like these models if you're gonna wear our clothes.
2: Right. We're not here to make you look good. You have to look good and work hard to look good in our clothes, you know. Right.
1: And you want to because that's the standard, right? And uh-huh. so it did it was this never ending cycle of perpetuating things like disordered eating or exercise bulimia to get to a place where you could show off the fact that you're wearing the latest low rise Hollister jeans to school. Yeah. You know. Definitely. Um,
2: Let's yeah. actually talk about some of those brands. The first one that I have written is one that I think was the most prevalent in my life throughout my middle school years in particular. And that is Abercrombie and Fitch mm-hmm. kind of slash Hollister because they're owned yes. by the same people. But all my nose are technically on Abercrombie. But oh, my God, I would beg my mother to spend $40 on a T-shirt with a mousse on it. And I'm horrible. so sorry, mom. I'm so sorry. Listen, I,
1: I will say this and I hated it at the time Um, because before I went into my rebellious emo phase, I was actually like a cheerleader. All my friends wore Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister. Yeah. And my family like at the time like could not afford that. So we never bought Abercrombie or Hollister. And I always felt like like that was a bad thing but now I'm 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 kind of like oh my god it was a badge of honor it was a blessing in
2: disguise well I actually before we even like get into any of this I had kind of like an eye opening experience at school when I was a kid because like I lived two very different like realities between my school life and my skating life all the time when I was a kid and mm-hmm. all my friends at skating were like Unbelievably wealthy, like yeah, I was the it's poor a rich sport. It's a really mm-hmm. rich sport. Like everybody was like stinking fucking rich, and I just always felt like you know I would save my money to be able to buy myself a juicy couture tracksuit that I literally wore for ten years just to make worth it. You oh, know what yeah. I mean? I'm like, it was something. It like we we were more well off when I was growing up when my dad was working. So like I when I was at school, in comparison, I probably had a lot more than a lot of my other classmates did. And that was something that I never really realized. And also privilege surrounding Abercrombie was never really something that I thought about. Mm -hmm. And I I will never forget something that a friend of mine named Mary said to me in middle school. She was black, and I went to a school that was very, very diverse. And I was wearing like a long sleeve Abercrombie shirt under my uniform, and it said Abercrombie down the sleeve. And she looked at me, and she was like, that's a white girl store. And I had never Mm -hmm. thought of it like that before. Because I always was just like, well, I, but I want to like fit in with all the rich kids at skating, yes. and I'm gonna I'm gonna spend the forty bucks on the moose shirt, and I'm gonna be super cool, and I'm gonna f- totally fit in. I had never heard anyone talk shit about Abercrombie at all. And that was a huge like, well, wait, what?
1: It was very it was very coded. So in 2013, there were comments from the Abercrombie CEO, Mike Jeffries, um, that resurfaced from an interview from an interview that he had done previously. And he said in that interview that the company only wanted attractive, all-American, cool kids to wear their brand. And yeah. to me, when when I read something like "all-American," that's very much a dog whistle for white to me. It's coded 100%. language for white. And yes, you can be like, "Oh, but they had they had some shirtless male Abercrombie models, so that that were African American." So. They weren't racist, but it's like, no, 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 no.
2: It's still very, very, very pigeonholed. (laughs) It's
1: very much the exception to the rule. Uh Abercrombie, I don't even think really ever made a secret of the fact that they were like, we are a brand for... Football players, cheerleaders, and preppy popular kids like exactly. that was kind of that was well, what they were going for. Yes, and, and they were wealthy enough to afford that brand. Yeah, and at the end of
2: that quote that you began says, "A lot of people don't belong in our clothes, and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. I mean, that says it all right there. Like, and that's what I was, you know, kind of speaking on the beginning of this episode." it is the brand's intent to design what their customer base is going to look like. And when somebody has such an unbelievably twisted view of what that's supposed to be, they can then project that onto the world as much as they want. And it makes us begin to take on that same thought process.
1: And it's, it's terrible too, because I know that there are a lot of people who would say like, what's wrong with a brand being exclusive, right? Like what's wrong with that? But when it's marketed towards literal children, it's marketed towards teenagers, uh, people in middle school and high school, which is already an incredibly difficult time. Yeah, I think adding these these additional kind of like classist, racist undertones to a brand that is supposed to be the pinnacle of popularity, right? I think it does perpetuate these, like, classist, racist notions in Well, school. right, And
2: I get a different vibe from exclusionary and exclusive. Exclusive, to me, means it's maybe going to be more expensive, better made, limited time, you know, something like that, where exclusionary is, like, we don't... There's a whole group of people that we don't want. It's not about our product being so fantastic and exclusive. It's about we need to make sure that... There's a whole group of people or multiple groups of people that don't get to be involved in this at all to make sure our only demographic is this one person. And, like, Mm -hmm. that's what's so unbelievably frustrating. And they have come under fire for their employment practices as well. Oh, yeah.
1: I knew a girl who I went to high school with who worked at Abercrombie. It was hell. Like, she told me about it. And, again... We are talking about children. Like she was in high school. Like we didn't feel like yeah. children at the time, but she was a teenager. And I think my friend Emily
2: worked at Abercrombie too in high school at one point, and it, hated it, it was
1: ridiculous the pressure that they put on her. They controlled her appearance. Oh my the gosh! They controlled how she wore her hair, what color it was, and they did control. What she weighed. Like, yep. they, you had to weigh under a certain amount. Um, that was one thing that there. I
2: remember hearing all the time around the mall when I was like in Abercrombie always what that does people, that do to oh, a well, like,
1: 16 year old girl a 17 year old girl absolutely you know? horrible things absolutely
2: horrible things and they've also come under fire for discriminating against black Latinx and Asian Americans for floor sales positions and store management positions they were known to only recruit employees from primarily white fraternities and sororities a practice they promised they would stop doing in like 2013 or whenever all that came out um Um, They have also been there have also been numerous lawsuits over the company's, quote, look policy, including the firing of a Muslim woman in San Mateo, California, and the mistreatment of a differently abled employee as well. Not
1: surprising at all not surprising at all.
2: Yeah, there was the woman who was differently abled in one of the articles that I read, she is missing a forearm and one of her arms, and so there was some sort of, like, agreement that, like, she wouldn't have to wear certain items of clothing that they had and certain things like that. Like, she could just wear what she felt comfortable with in the store or whatever, and then her bosses got, like, hard on her about, like, what she was wearing and made her have to kind of, like, display it more, which she didn't feel comfortable with, and, you know, different things. Things like that, that just put their employees in really difficult positions. And like we were just saying, I feel like most of the people, I don't know how it is now, but most people that work jobs like that are typically like high school
1: students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that there were, again, college age students when you're talking about fraternities and sororities and things like that. Um, But yeah, I think in general, it's mostly teenagers. And what are you saying about about somebody whenever you're saying, if, if you're going to work here, if you're going to wear our clothes, you need to be under 120 pounds right. or whatever it is. Um, it's incredibly damaging. I think it would take a long time to undo that kind of thinking. I know a friend, um, I have a friend, we both know, who was in a theater company where they would weigh them, all the women not the men but all the women would have weekly weigh-ins in front of everybody else yeah theater company so for her you know having gone through something like that it affects her to this day yeah and it has taken years and years of therapy to undo that mentality right so absolutely i would not allow my teenage daughter to work in an environment like this i wish a motherfucker would. I really do. I wish. I mean, then there's
2: going to have to be a lot of other things that you're going to have to shield your daughter from because I mean, think about all of the sports that are so like particular about aesthetic and Pageantry and acting and theater. I mean, it's everywhere. It's literally like shoved in our faces all the times that we are supposed to like look, act, behave, and be a certain way. And it's absolutely crippling. Your value is
1: intrinsically tied to this as well. Like, I think that that's a big part of it is like, you're saying that my value is intrinsically tied to my weight 100% or my size of clothing. Yeah, which is you something know? that I I certainly struggled with, like absolutely feeling that way, yes. that like I'm only I think of value.
2: I think most people do. Like mm-hmm. I really think that, like especially because we're people that like factual things, like numbers and sizes, and being able to evaluate things in ourselves in certain ways, and the more tangible that is, the easier it is for us to get wrapped up in it, and that's why literally everybody can relate to it in some way shape or form well and you know? the world has
1: reinforced it at every turn right the world has reinforced it at every turn and I'm grateful to see that that is starting to change that we're calling it out more which is why having conversations like this is so important it's why so calling important. brands out is so important yes uh, because the conversation the narrative around this stuff has got to shift it, yeah it the amount of damage that it does is absolutely unacceptable Uh, so speaking of that let's jump into one that did a number on me growing up because like I said I mean I couldn't really afford Abercrombie growing up so I just said fuck it I'll shop at Hot Topic and changed my entire personality here for it (laughs) but you do you that for me as somebody who was like very eager to grow up very excited about things like um, being old enough to wear lingerie and feel sexy Victoria's Secret had like I cannot emphasize enough and I know that it might seem weird now because Victoria's Secret now kind of feels like a brand that's almost washed up it's like not as big a deal but it really I is cannot- just kind of
2: like an everyday mall brand but when yes, we were kids, absolutely. it really was presented as hold. like
1: a chokehold on the early two thousands, man. It oh my god, really the Victoria's
2: Secret fashion show was like everything,
1: everything. Like the early two thousands, Victoria's Secret and Pink. I remember when they came out with Pink, which was supposed to be for like teenagers.
2: Bless those sweatpants. I lived in them with the different oh, yeah. colors. They were. I and had like lime green. Oh, their mm-hmm. PJs. They had very, very, very soft tops as well like they're just regular cotton shirts and everything their yoga pants were very soft oh yeah they had me hook line and sinker for probably and a good again, 10 years
1: this was a very materialistic time period like this yes. time period having these kinds of like accessible brands uh, where you could get pants that said pink on the butt and that was like a status symbol I was just school. gonna say
2: it's a status symbol it, it isn't about just wearing the style that's in it's about wearing that specific brand and showing right. off that you can, you know, afford to, like, live mm-hmm. the life of that brand.
1: And it also said something. For me, it felt very... Even if it was pink, like, not Victoria's Secret, but the pink brand, yeah. it, said, it said, I'm grown up. And it also evoked uh-huh. this, like, idea of, like, I had to go into the sexy store to buy these pants. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. all of that played into it for me.
2: Yeah, And so... For me, I think it was a way to wear sweatpants every day for like two years without having to like say like, oh, but I like don't look cute. I could like still like somewhat like look cute and go to school. But I literally just wore sweatpants and sweatshirts every single day.
1: (laughs) That's me now. That's who I am now. Like literally, I just want to be in sweats at this point in my life. But at that point, I just wanted to look cute like I just wanted
2: to look cute well and And especially for me when I started dating it was a really big deal for me that all of my bras and underwear had to come from Victoria's Secret or I remember also getting a couple bras from like Abercrombie once. but like there really was something about like Because I think men had such an obsession with Victoria's Secret as well that there was this like idea pushed upon women where it's like, okay, well, men want us all to be these angels. Right. So when my boyfriend takes my top off when I'm 16, he better see the most adorable hot pink. Yes. Yes. And the most adorable Mm -hmm. hot pink lacy perfect plunge push-up bra because he's going to give a shit.
1: You know what right. I mean? Like, that, that was another thing is like as an adult, we know that lingerie is not meant to be worn as regular undergarments. But at the time, it was like you could only afford so many bras. So we were going right. out and buying these like lacy bras that then we were wearing underneath like regular T-shirts <laughs> school because we owned two bras. You know what I mean? Which is not what those are for. Like you're supposed to have your regular everyday bras and then you have like a couple like nice lacy bras that are strictly for sexy time. Like right. that's all that's for.
2: Well, and a um, big thing for me as well is, And I think this still kind of goes underneath the whole body shaming category. And Keegan, I know you feel this struggle too. I am perfectly fine with my boobs now. They have grown since I was a child, but I was called mosquito bites. I was jokingly called double D because I was so obviously not a double D. Um, And so for me, I was very self-conscious about how flat chested I was. So I would make whatever I had work. (laughs) So yeah,
1: you're buying that like push up the, the
2: massive like up. air pocket push up bra mm-hmm. that is somehow making my like triple A boobs look like a C cup somehow you know what I mean like that was all I wanted because I just I didn't feel womanly enough like I I still joke to this day I'm like I'm like a two by four you know what I mean there's just no curve to me and that was something that like I've always really wanted like I've always really wanted to have like a butt and boobs and hips and be like that sexy Victoria's Secret angel and I would look in the mirror and I'd be like well there's frumpy old Madigan again and that was just really hard for
1: me the funny thing about that is that The Victoria's Secret Angel, right? So when we're talking about that, so in 2014, Victoria's Secret released a lingerie collection called Body. And they had this ad campaign. And in this ad campaign, it was all of the Victoria's Secret Angels and it said across it, the perfect body. And every single one of these women had the same body. Like if you had shown it to me- It was so barf. If you had literally like- I'll post it when I when I post the episode. I mean, I remember them. If you want to see it, it wasn't that long ago. It was
2: like what seven years ago now. I don't know math,
1: but like
2: it's very like it's it feels very present to me still. That whole ad,
1: yeah. I mean, and you could if if you put your arm over their faces and heads, with the exception of there are two models of color in this ad. With the exception of that they would be interchangeable. Their bodies are exactly the same. Uh, And, you know, for as much as it gave us all a complex about having, like, Adriana Lima's, like, bust line, um, their bodies were very... Kind of straight up and down. Like yeah. I, I, there's a lot of criticism also from very curvy women feeling yeah. like like they didn't fit the standard either. Because well, yeah, because, because also of the sizing,
2: I, they're probably also not making their super plungy, sexy, hot, pink, lacy bras in a size G. You yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Like <laughs> it's
1: very, very limited. And this particular advertisement, so they'd already faced a fair amount of criticism, right? right? They'd already faced a fair amount of criticism, but this advertisement got widespread backlash online. Um, It was criticized for rightly body shaming women. Yeah. And there were a lot of campaigns that kind of did similar shoots where they had women of varying ages and abilities and sizes and colors doing kind of the same photo shoot yeah and I don't remember if it
2: was during this time or if it was something that just kind of continued afterward but I remember posting a picture of this on our Instagram like years ago probably but it was a group of like quote-unquote plus-size models in front of Victoria's Secret in just like nude colored lingerie in a form of yes, protest yes. and yeah. I've seen that happen a lot since then as well
1: yeah. So there was a petition that was circulated online that demanded that Victoria's Secret apologize and change the poster. And it got over 30,000 signatures and the hashtag I am started trending on Twitter. So VS Angels and their ads, they held women up to this absolutely impossible standard that left like ninety nine point nine percent of us feeling insecure about our bodies. At best, I really do feel like it made us feel insecure about our bodies at best and promoted disordered eating at worst. I remember around the time that the Victoria's Secret fashion show would happen every year, magazines would spotlight. Yes. They would spotlight different angels and highlight their workout and dieting routines. Guess days before who the show.
2: literally, like, this is how psycho pants crazy I was in my eating disordered mind. And I talk, I wrote in my notes during the whole like Kate Moss heroin chic stuff. My lock screen for like a year was that like nothing feels as good as skinny feels skinny, quote. Yeah, nothing and, tastes as good
1: as skinny feels. Yeah, whatever. Yeah.
2: Fuck that fucking shit. Yeah. Whatever. It's yeah, bullshit. Yeah. But like, I would like look up. Victoria's Secret model diet and write it in my journal so I could remember it and that would be ingrained in my fucking head and then every time I'd eat something else I felt like a piece of shit and yes I was predisposed to a lot of other things that would make me obsess about something like that but like it just goes to show you how it really can like make you fucking obsess about something that is so
1: unbelievably arbitrary and harmful. <laughs> I think that it was incredibly prevalent at this time. Like, I think that it was incredibly... Oh, I wasn't weird for
2: doing it. Like, and, no. And, and we were all open about talking about that stuff, too. Well, and that's, that's the that's other thing. what I was
1: going to say is that it's, it's kind of wild, and it is interesting to me how far we've come, even in that, like... Seven year span, 10 year span, because this stuff was published in magazines as though this was something to aspire to, as yeah. though this was an ideal. Whereas now, I think rightly, everyone would be like, whoa, like that doesn't seem okay because they would advocate for things like eating a handful of grapes and some nuts and not drinking any water because they want their abs to stand out and working out <sighs> obsessively, right? Like that was the kind of thing they would promote and that was held up as like, oh, this is something that we should all do if we want to look like a Victoria's Secret angel. Yeah, and, and like, one like questions that.
2: And like that's a way to sustain a life no spoiler, spoiler it is it. not it is not but they not. never
1: they never <laughs> framed it like that i think nope. that, that was part of the problem was they're and they never showed thing. the models
2: afterwards having to go to In and Out and binge eat exactly. on sixteen burgers because they haven't exactly. eaten in a week. No, they it's presented not it glamorous. as though
1: this is a lifestyle that w- could be sustainable for you, and that if you want to look like a Victoria's Secret angel, you need to do this day in, day out, three sixty five. again, first of all, you shouldn't be doing it at all. Like even they shouldn't be doing it the two weeks leading up to their no. to, to walking in the show. That speaks to the insanely high standards that we put models through and that we have, you know, for our beauty standards in <laughs> for <general>. another
2: episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But beyond that, it was framed as this is a lifestyle that is yeah. achievable. And I remember like I would go through my like Cosmo Girl magazines and every single one of them had dieting tips and yep. workout tips and I would rip them out and I would put them in a separate booklet. And that was like my my Bible, for yeah. Like these are these are recipes that I can have. These yeah. are workouts that I can do to and get that body. And how unbelievably
2: twisted is it for actual children that we were to be able to be obsessing over these things so mm-hmm. much because we, we were just, taking notes. We were legit taking yeah. notes. You know what I mean? And I'm I'm hoping that at least this has been discussed enough by now that that is not happening to teenagers in this era as often i'm sure it is still very prevalent but i'm hoping that because of the changing in a lot of our advertising and in a lot of these brands as well hopefully some of that is changing but it is not gone because there is another brand that i want to talk about that i see at work all the time and i hate it so much and that is brandy melville
1: Yes. Can I just sorry, before we talk about Brandy Melville, can I just wrap it up with Victoria's Secret really quickly? Do it. Do it. Go. OK, so just to wrap it up with Victoria's Secret, in the wake of the body positivity movement of the last several years and and after several, quote unquote, faux pas, including the aforementioned Perfect Body campaign, um the chief marketing officer Ed Rosik told Vogue in 2018 that the brand was not interested in hiring transgender or plus-size models and sales began mm. to plummet after like those series of events happened. So Thank in 2021, God. yeah, in 2021 Victoria's Secret has made an attempt to rebrand, which to me is a very thinly veiled and hollow attempt to win back consumers. Right. Uh, And they have now begun to hire models of varying sizes, colors, and abilities. And while I appreciate this, I feel like this is important to say because I do appreciate this. I think visibility and representation is incredibly important. To me, this feels like, capitalist activism yeah like they've realized that they've lost money and their kind of like hyper exclusive exclusionary um idea of what their brand should be isn't working for them anymore because the culture has shifted yeah and so they've decided to change it and to me it's not enough for me to forgive them for all of the damage they did to me
2: no no
1: (laughs) it's really not in high school
2: very much yes. not enough. I do want to, because I don't want us to forget to mention them at any point. I love Aerie. I have to say, I love what they've done with their ad campaigns. They don't do any touch-ups or anything like that. They're so inclusive with their models. If I forget to mention it later,
1: bless you, Aerie.
2: You're wonderful.
1: So I have a list of some body-positive fashion brands Love at, this. to mention at the end of this, and Aerie is on that list. Wonderful. Yes. Good, because yeah. I love them. Okay. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one.
2: Our podcast is called
0: Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So let's talk a little bit about Brandy Melville. Uh, Brandy Melville is not a person. It is like the two owners' names combined. I was a little bit disappointed in that, but I should have known because these people are pieces of shit. The company's founder, owner, and CEO is a douche canoe by the name of Steven Marson. Brandy Melville projects an image of young, thin, pretty whiteness and aims to sell clothes to that exact demographic as the majority Mm -hmm. of their clothing is
1: one size fits most. Which is ludicrous because Fits I was taking most? not even close, not even close because I was looking at, I was looking at this brand uh, in the prep for this episode because before TikTok, I'd not really heard of them. They, people a talk brandy? about them. Of, no, I really. really. Oh, yeah, they're no. such,
2: they're, they're a really, really big California brand. So there was, that
1: doesn't surprise me at all. There was
2: only a few of them and there was one at the Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica that I was obsessed with because they I loved their sweatshirts and their sweaters in particular. I really liked the material. I thought they were really great. I didn't really ever buy any pants there. I bought maybe a couple like basic tank tops and stuff because it really was like if you didn't fit – that item you were out of luck like you just couldn't
1: right wear it as like the thing is as a petite person sometimes I have like kind of short and stuff like sometimes I have trouble finding um, skirts and stuff that hit me in the right place that aren't like too long for me or whatever so I understand the appeal of wanting to have a like uh, of having a petite kind of like brand or something that like is supposed to fit shorter bodies or but whatever. it's but not this-
2: being marketed as a petite no. brand and it's also they don't really even market the fact that their clothes are one size fits most and that's what's really frustrating so if you were to go into brandy Melville and say get a pair of pants mm-hmm. most of their pants are going to be a 25 inch waist which is right.
1: And most of their models are 5'7 or taller, like normal model height.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. But but a 25-inch waist is such an unbelievably small percentage of not even just teenage women, but women in general who would be typically shopping at these stores. Right. It, that is so much sm- smaller than any of the average person. So they are truly looking for people who are either like prepubescent or or killing themselves to be prepubescent. Yeah, you know, well, I, mean, I mean I'm not, not saying again, that. Like there are other like there I'm I'm a petite person. I can fit into Brandy Melville stuff, like you know, yeah. I, like that is I'm not just saying it's only for unhealthy people, um but that is the image that they're projecting because especially the fact that they use so many really really young models but they still advertise for adults to wear their clothing as well, which is it, skews with your brain a lot. I mean,
1: again, it perpetuates this disordered eating mentality because it has actually become in my, in my prep for this episode, again, they are not a brand that I was super familiar with. um, But in my prep for this episode, it does appear that especially in places like California wearing Brandy Melville it says something about your status it says something about who you are it upholds this idea that thinness equals goodness or thinness is something that you should aspire to as a a matter of um worth as a matter of worth yeah you know what I mean yeah and and it is
2: a bit of a status symbol to be able to wear something that's very obviously from Brandy Melville and wear it around and be able to say oh you know I'm I'm able to shop in this store
1: like that does say something right and you can't yes right and you probably can't right yeah. and so it does when it works sometimes for girls who are prepubescent But as their bodies grow and change and they want to be able to still fit into that mold of like, I can still shop at this place. It does lend itself to really unhealthy relationships with their bodies and with food. Especially
2: when the brand is telling you that you can grow with the brand. Like uh, if you go online, like it is geared toward adults with these pictures of people what I would assume to be not adults <laughs> in, in a lot of them, you know what I mean? But right. it's, yeah. But it's telling you that you should be able to still fit into their clothes even when your body is growing and changing, and that's really messed up. Right,
1: right. And, you know, these clothes are, when they say one size fits most, it should be said that... These clothes fit a extra small to a small. Yeah.
2: That's how limited it is. Yeah. It's and not and like, like this the is tops something that's maybe to a medium.
1: Maybe. Right. Right. It's not like this is sometimes you'll buy something on Amazon. That's like a one size fits all kind of thing or one size fits most. And it's like kind of a very loose fitting thing or it has like it's like a or-, <laughs> or, yeah, or something like that. That's not what this is. No. This is these are literally clothes that are made for extra small And small. And even then, it's very limited by body type, right? Yeah. I could maybe fit into their clothes, but they're clearly made for people who do not have a butt and thighs. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, You can be the right size and the wrong shape, and you won't fit into their clothes. exactly. Yeah like it is very clearly specifically for a certain type of woman
2: yes and not girl yeah exactly and not only are the customers fat shamed but the employees are fat shamed so actually there is a girl that I work with now that used to work there and told me a few stories like she was meant to only work in the back because she wasn't pretty enough (gasps) yeah like it's like this is recent stuff like it's really really shitty and they treat we gotta put
1: these companies out of Oh, my gosh. This place
2: makes my blood boil. So most retail outposts must send full body selfies to brand executives daily with some of the employees being as young as 14 daily daily. They have Uh -uh. to show what they're wearing to work. They have to show. And because it started off, like I don't know if this is still happening up to now, but this isn't a company where there are that many storefronts. So I think it was pretty easy for the CEO and for like the higher ups to be able to keep tabs on what their
1: employees were wearing and doing and what they looked like. Um, I'm sorry. I look, I I need to go into one of these stores, find a 14 year old who's working and be like, call your mom. I just want to talk. Oh, for real. Because uh-uh, like who? Oh. Letting because their 14 year old be subjected to this right absolutely because then
2: if Marson didn't like what he saw the employee could be fired on the spot one former California employee said in retrospect it's really fucking weird that we all us underage people had to text this mid to late 30s guy photos of no. what we were wearing no
1: no no no. No.
2: I told you. I Absolutely told you. Absolutely not. <laughs> another no. Another former employee, Luca Rotundo, who worked as the senior vice president of the company, said that he had been ordered to fire hundreds of staffers for things such as the worker being heavy or, quote, unattractive. If Marson thought the store had too many black employees. does that mean? I know. Oh, girl. I'm. Oh, I'm getting mad. Also, if Marson thought the store had too many black employees, they would be replaced with a new white employee. One, uh, Luca also said in that interview, if she was black, if she was fat, he didn't want them in the store. Marson would also sit with the other senior executives above the showroom and check out the customers. If they liked how a girl looked, they hit a button... This is so Harvey Weinstein. They hit a button that would signal the cashier to get the customer's details and offer her a job. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah. They even, employees would be asked to model clothes in front of Marcin with a lot of them feeling like if they changed in front of him, that would get them this like special employee status, which means shopping sprees, work trips to Hawaii and Italy, and the use of a quote brandy apartment in Soho, New York. So these women are like... Doing young these women. young, young, yeah. young women are doing these special favors for this guy in order to maybe hopefully get this special employee status.
1: Okay, well, I'm uh, furious. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, along with that,
2: along with that, there were like there was a whole investigation done by Insider, and in that investigation, they found hundreds of screenshots, reviews by. Reviewed by team members that show Marson and others swapping pornography, racist memes, and Nazi propaganda in a chat with more than 30 men. Hold
1: the phone. Why, what, why, Fuck how Brandy is Melville company still in business? I don't know. How and they, they still operating? And they have
2: other companies below them. There's another designer Please by the name of. Please give me a of, list
1: because we're going to post that to yeah, our Instagram because so, I don't want anybody shopping at anything affiliated with any of these No, uh-huh. there's a
2: company called John Galt and they are through Brandy Melville as well. And they're kind of like special thing is that this designer only makes a certain amount of like one design. So it is kind of a thing that, like, if you have this one John Galt item, you very well could be, like, one of only X amount of people that have that, and then you're never going to be able to get it again. So there is also this, like, exclusivity of the actual product as well with some of their other, like, kind of, like, branched-down companies and stuff. It's a whole mess of crap but should we Yo, go we, we
1: gotta we gotta stop it we gotta stop <laughs> it with this stuff i gotta tell you like it's it's as somebody who will be 32 soon it it does not matter like what you wear genuinely it does not matter that much and wear I clothes even- that you like that you feel comfortable yes. and good in that feel like yourself you can find those anywhere you can find them at the thrift store like you do not need to wear labels because i guarantee you that the people who matter do not mind don't they don't mind nope. uh, that you're not wearing you a just label like or you're not wearing something? I quoted
2: my favorite quote of all time, and I hate that one of my favorite quotes of all time is from such a racist motherfucker like Dr. Seuss.
1: Oh yeah, damn it. Yeah, but the people who matter don't mind. They don't, and the people who mind don't matter. That's, really- that's absolutely. Look, if your friends care about the fact that you're not wearing Brandy Melville, then you need some new friends. I'm your friend now. We're I- done.
2: <laughs> I am your friend now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're done. Like, we immediately know. Get rid of them.
2: All right. Well, should we talk about the absolute dumpster fire that is Lululemon? Of course we should. We have to. Like, they take the crazy cake, in my opinion. I think Brandy Melville is like, they're nipping at their heels. But Lululemon has been going strong in their cultist crazy racist misogynistic bullshit for far too fucking
1: long you know what there's a real common theme of a lot of male ceos owning oh. companies that are targeted towards women hmm. that's and another very thing to young keep in women mind too that's another thing to keep in mind is like these these men are trying to control women's bodies the in patriarchy a whole will way. get you it'll get yeah. you it's why it's important to have women-owned brands. Yes. It
2: really, truly is. So important. And to like diversify brands, too. <laughs> like, my yeah. God. So important. So let's get into Lululemon a little bit. I feel like so much of this controversy came out in 2013. There must have been something going on in 2013 with a lot of these fashion brands where all this stuff People got leaked. People were waking up clearly it's wild so in 2013 the founder chip wilson was asked to step down following a number of allegations against him by the public chip has a history of commenting on women's bodies like saying that yeah fucking i'm just gonna call him chip because he's such a fucking chip right Ugh. I've met some great chips, but whatever. Um, yeah,
1: hashtag not all chips, but s- still. <laughs> but still, yeah.
2: chip. Ugh. Um, he said that yoga pants, that their yoga pants don't work for women who have thighs that touch, that birth control pills are causing divorce divorce rates to spike, like all Thank- sorts of things. Are craziness. you an expert
1: in that, Chip? Thank you so much for your opinion. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting so heated. It might be the wine. It might be. I'm having some wine. Maybe it's the wine.
2: Yeah. And he's been trashed since day one. So the company was founded in 1998 with a Forbes enterprise value of $8.8 billion. The douche canoe claims to have named the company Lululemon. This is really horrible and honestly kind of trigger warning because it's like super, super racist and awful. Um, He named it Lululemon because of the amount of L's in the name. He thought it would be funny for the Japanese buyers to say it.
1: Trash. Absolute fucking trash. You know, it's amazing to me when people are this genuinely awful. Right? Like, this is the same feeling that I get when I'm watching Succession, and I'm like, people aren't like this, right? I, like, re- there aren't I haven't people- started that show yet, and
2: I really want to. Am I going to love it? I it's, love Kieran Culkin. Well, here's
1: the thing. it's Succession is such a good show. It is filmed so well. The acting and the writing is mwah, superb. But... I can only watch one or two episodes at a time because they're awful. Like like I wanna believe that they're caricatures of what like super wealthy people are like. But but they're probably not. I don't think so. I think that this is what these people are like. And they're just like genuinely horrible. They're
2: horrible human beings. So back into 2013, some customers began complaining about the quality of the clothing, with some items being too sheer or having holes appear or falling apart completely after just a few wears. And this led to a huge recall of all of these pants and for douchebag Chip to blame the customers for wearing the clothing improperly or for having body shapes not made for his clothing. What? Yeah, he blamed the, the fat you customer. Make stretchy pants, <laughs> Chip. Like, they should fit every, like, that's and the And not be fucking sheer when you, pu- when you bend over. And that's the thing. A pair of Lululemon yoga pants are, like, 100 expensive. bucks or 120 expensive. bucks. So they're so expensive. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend 120 bucks on a pair of pants and then do a downward dog with the entire class seeing my underpants. I don't want no. it. I don't want it. No. In 2021, a Business Insider report revealed that an unnamed company director pushed employees to create an All Lives Matter campaign to be displayed on their website after the murder of George Floyd. Now, this has nothing to do with body shaming, but I had to. I had to. This company... Sucks. So the employees were like, "This is fucked up. We don't want to do that. We really don't want to make an All Lives Matter campaign." But they were kind of like forced to make this mock up. But they were like, "Well, we're also going to make a Black Lives Matter campaign then at the same time." And that was actually the one that ended up being used. But then, because it
1: was more profitable for Chip, of course,
2: of course. But it still came up that there was the this unnamed employee that was like forcing everybody to make this all lives matter design. Um, The company has also come under fire for false advertising when selling leggings allegedly made of seaweed that came with certain health benefits and legal disputes with other companies over intellectual property of its design of yoga pants. And I don't even mention the fact that there was a fucking murder that occurred in the store by an employee. This place is... It, there's a, a special place in hell for Lululemon. I'm
1: I'm not gonna lie to you. I definitely when I'm shopping at Ralph's and I see a woman with yoga pants on and I see that little Lululemon like insignia on it, I give a little side eye. Yes. I do. I'm like. Mm. Mm. (laughs) I do have to say this is like completely innocent you know yeah I do have a workaround there's a part of me that's like I don't know man I
2: have a workaround with these and I don't and listeners tell me if this is a bad workaround but I work in a second hand store so we have a lot of Lululemon stuff I don't I don't work out so like I don't really have any use for workout clothes or anything like that but to me if I were to buy a pair of Lululemon pants I would rather buy them through my store second hand or on Poshmark or something like that because there are out in the world than actually give money to that company same thing with brandy melville like i bought i bought a sweatshirt you know like but i'm not gonna i don't want to give them that money directly but when i find it at a thrift store or a second hand store and i'm like i like the sweatshirt i'll buy it
1: I, i think it can go any number of ways right because like i i definitely feel that way about certain brands like I used to like Dolls Kill. Like, I think they're such a cool kind of, like, alternative They're a goth very brand. cool brand, but... But they're extremely racist. They're very problematic. Yeah. Do not buy from Dolls Kill. Yeah, They've stolen we, from indie creators. Yeah, we just um, stopped
2: kind of, like, taking in a lot of Dolls Kill stuff to the store because we used to take it in a ton because it was, like, very... Like hip to what like one of our demographics are, but then like all this stuff started coming out more and more, and we're like,
1: ah, yeah, no they, more. Deal they from indie creators all the time, and they don't give credit. It's terrible, yeah, you know. And so there has been a question around like, okay, but like if you see it at a thrift store, can you can you buy it? And in general, I think shopping secondhand is so much more sustainable. That I'm always pro shopping secondhand, but what I would warn about and why I probably wouldn't buy Lululemon. Because um, there is the logo on it. Yeah. So I wouldn't buy anything that says Dolls Kill. Yeah. Because I'm still giving you free promotion. Like I'm still promoting totally. this brand that I don't believe in. Totally. And so I probably wouldn't wear Lululemon leggings either. Because it has the Lululemon logo on it. And Great I'm not trying point. to promote it. You know, but... In general, I would say, yeah, if there's something that you like, but say, you know, you don't want to support Urban Outfitters, (laughs) but you find something Urban Outfitters at a Crossroads or a Buffalo Exchange or whatever, then, yeah, I don't personally have a problem with that. But that's my personal opinion.
2: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. But I'm like, there's probably someone out there that has a reason why that's not a good idea. I'm totally open to hearing that opinion. But that's kind of my workaround with that. Um, But back to the I hate saying Lululemon. Back to Lululemon, um, there was a former employee that discussed the fact that all of their size 10 and up items are usually just kind of like clumped into the back of the store behind a table, not folded, not displayed, so that whenever customers who would be of that size walk into the store, they look around and they don't even see anything in their size. They have size. to ask,
1: which is embarrassing it's embar- or can be embarrassing. Well, and because,
2: and, and who, Who's even gonna do that? Like, if I were to walk into a store and look around and not see my size anywhere, that's my cue to leave.
1: So are they only making it so that they can say that they offer sizes up to that size? Because like otherwise you're wasting money. Well, and also leaving money on the table. But this is the thing: the douchebag chip
2: says that the reason he doesn't make more plus size clothing is because it takes thirty percent more fabric to create the clothing, which means that he would have to charge a higher price for them. So the designs they do have in sizes ten and up are essentially like designs from four years ago and the same pants that they just keep out there. There's never okay, any like, then, new designs. Know,
1: this has always felt like bullshit to me because then what I don't understand is there's a big difference, right? There just is between a size 0 and a size 10. But you... Can sell a size zero and a size ten for the same amount of money. Why is every size not on a sliding scale then? Yeah. Why is it not? Yeah. Why are Why aren't you saying sizes zero through four are this price? Yep. And then sizes six through eight are this price exactly, and then so on. Why? Why? Why is it suddenly an issue whenever it's like because he's being called on it because he's being called on it? Yeah, it's, com- like, I've it's complete felt bullshit. Like it's
2: absolute bullshit. And the thing that's really upsetting. Is that this cutoff point at Lululemon is actually where most American women tend to live. Um, The breakoff point to what is considered to being plus size in the US is mostly at about a size 12. Some say it's a size 14 and above, though the average dress size among American women is a size 14, according to a 2013 study by Women's Wear Daily. So that would mean that the majority of American women would fall into the category of the plus-sized items at this store that they're not even showing as an option for the majority of people that could come into the store. I just said that really weird, but you know what I mean. No, I understand (laughs) what you're saying.
1: I really didn't expect this topic to make me as angry as I feel. Well,
2: hey, I'm always here for a a surprising anger
1: fest. Yeah, you know, I think I'm tired. I think that's a big part of it. I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> the amount of energy I had was so low already and you just spent it all you spent it all <laughs> fucking douchebag um, chip but I do
2: I, I, we are reaching an hour and I do want to highlight the brands that are good brands yes, to keep an eye on but before we do that I do really really want a quick talk about the sizing chart because I think that's another yes. thing that is uh, something that we can very easily compare ourselves to and so let's just even talk about where we even got this sizing chart, this standard sizing chart, there was a study in 1941 of women's body sizes for clothing, and that was to be the new global universal size chart. Of course, the study focused on white women, most of whom wore girdles and corsets under their clothing so their measurements were off. This is the system that we've pretty much run since that time and the hope is that technology can change that. There are some people that want to create like 3D imaging for size charts and things like that, but for the most part, when we are looking at you know, what size to get online when we're ordering on Amazon or whatever, that is a standard that has been set to us by 1941 white women. So don't compare yourselves to them. And they were wearing fucking girdles and corsets. Fuck it,
1: you know? And they're so inconsistent anyway that it doesn't even matter. Like that was something that I learned whenever I was trying on wedding dresses and stuff. Yeah. Was like wedding dress sizing, completely different. Yes. Completely different. And that's why. Like regular dress sizing. It's. It's it don't just it yes. doesn't matter. And like, I, all those things I don't have matter.
2: customers that will complain to me on the regular about not being able to fit into certain clothes. And I always tell them, I say, you are not meant to fit the clothes. The clothes are meant to fit you. Absolutely. And especially yeah. at a store that I work at where you're trading in clothes and you're here to buy new stuff. I'm like, this is an opportunity for you to find an amazing new wardrobe of clothes that actually fit you and make you feel awesome.
1: Right, I mean, and that's what we should be focused on. And I understand in this new world where we're shopping so much online, and it is actually important that you know, like, maybe not your size, but like your dimensions, your dimensions so that you right? can figure out like what fits you right. It should be about what you feel good and confident in. Yeah, like, that's what it sh- that that's what should matter. Like trying to um, force yourself to fit into a certain size, that's not going to be helpful for you. Find the size that fits your body and makes you feel good yeah. and wear that thing. And, also, and I feel like, like that's, no, go ahead.
2: Also find the brands that make you feel really good, because I think like once you find a brand that has, you know, sizing and fit and design and whatever that like makes you feel good. And I mean, just whenever you even find whatever aesthetic it is that you feel like applies to who you are as a person, like knowing those things about yourself and knowing those brands is another way to kind of make shopping easier without it feeling like it's such a harmful burden. (laughs)
1: Right, yeah, and it doesn't make you feel so bad about yourself. Yeah. I mean, like that's, I I feel that way when I go to try on clothes, like in the dressing room. I swear there's something about the Target dressing room. They do something in there. They do. Where I'm it's just the like, lighting. Happening. I think. The lighting makes me look like I'm just like I hate it. I want to get out of here <laughs> so quickly. Um, but that's how you should feel across the board. Your style, don't adhere to trends and stuff like that. It should always be about how you feel. Yep in the clothes like that's that's the most important thing and I know um as we get to talking about kind of more inclusive brands here at the end of the episode there's a whole conversation to be had around fast fashion and sustainability uh and stuff like that and of course those things are very important that deserves its own episode and some of these brands maybe aren't the most sustainable although here's what I'll say to that um If you are like me and maybe you bought something cheap or that was fast fashion, if you are wearing it for a considerable amount of time, if you keep it for a really long time, that does help to make it more sustainable. Now it doesn't um, really address any issues of uh, labor discrimination and things like that that happen within certain fashion brands. We're very aware of that. We understand that these are two different issues. And right now we're talking about like size inclusivity and stuff like that. But we will definitely address issues to do with fast fashion at a later date. for another episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So let's jump into talking about some size inclusive brands that you can check out. Okay. So eShakti is a completely customizable retailer. They offer sizes from zero to 36 wide and they have complete customization through exact body measurements. So as long as you know your body measurements, which I think is super cool. that really, it's like tailoring yeah absolutely because for me you know everyone's body is different right stuff's gonna fit on you different and if you can afford to take your clothes to get tailored it absolutely changes the way you look because it's it matches whatever your body type is uh so you can have various neckline sleeves and garment length to fit your height so that's an incredible resource i've never shopped through them but now i want to yeah me too We talked earlier about Ari. Ari. Oh, is it Ari? Ari. It's American Eagle.
2: It's Ari. I love them. That's where I buy like most of my bras and underwear. I found a few more brands like lately, but for probably like a good eight years, all my shit was Ari.
1: Yeah. And they've totally stopped retouching their photos a couple of years ago. And they are more inclusive in terms of their models and their, their sizing. Their
2: website is like, Chef's kiss, beautiful. I love it. They've done it all right.
1: Yeah. And you and I have talked. I recently got a parade order. I would include them as well. If you're looking for like bras and underwears, loungewear, bodysuits, those kinds of things, like parade is also really great. They have very diverse models yeah. and large, like, well, large they and have, small sizes. And they have
2: bralettes for like very large chested people, yes. which is like yeah. super rare. I'm, I could not talk more highly of Parade. Sponsor us first and then I'll talk more highly of you. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes.
1: Um, ASOS, which is a brand that I have definitely shopped quite a bit. Yeah, it can be a um, bit
2: fast fashion, but is, exactly. very, is a website that is so user friendly in particular like you and there's so many brands within like their website and stuff as well like that is such an amazing like user friendly very size Uh inclusive
1: there are so many options and they feature various sizing from straight curvy plus as well as tall and petite styles so there have definitely been things that i've found on there that i'm like oh this is really cute but it's in a tall and i'm like okay it's just not for me you know what i mean yep um so there, but there are like, there's an, a very wide variety and you can shop specifically by like, if you're like, I'm over five, eight as a woman, you can shop specifically in tall styles uh-huh. uh, and, and find stuff like that, which is really cool. And they even Love have, it. they even have, um, A variety of like shoe styles like they carry like wide and narrow which honestly for me is huge because I have the narrowest feet known to
2: man and I love slides so I do buy my shoes from ASOS sometimes because
1: I can look under that narrow shoe area yep Uh, swimsuits for all so swimsuits for all is a Obviously, a swimsuit brand, um, and they are very size inclusive as well. They have clothing. I think. I think they have swimsuits up to size thirty four. Uh, and I, what I loved when I was like scrolling through their Instagram is that yes, I will say like the majority of their posts. Even when they have plus size models, a lot of complaints about plus size models is that they still adhere to a very particular shape. Right. Right. Like a, a small waist, kind of bigger. And more of an hourglass
2: hips. shape. Mm-hmm.
1: And they do have a lot of models like that. But then they do also have models who have um, different plus size shapes, like more of the apple shape with like a bigger middle and smaller legs. And, and they're showing what their swimsuits look like on that body type, which I think is so important. It is. Because if you have so a body important. type. That's not represented very often. Uh, It's you want to see how the clothes look on someone like especially
2: if you're buying online or if you just want a reference, you want to be able to see like not just what it's going to look like on, you know, you or I, but what it would look like on someone like you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, spend some time on TikTok because there are lots of creators like, you know. I, I want to say body positive, but probably not. Just like body neutral creators who are like, this is the body I exist in. Yeah. Um, and this is me trying on clothes so that you can see what this kind of outfit would look like on your body type, yes. which is very, very cool. And I
2: love watching people try on clothes on TikTok. Me too, it's a weird all thing. day.
1: Love it. Um, and then the last one that I have on this list is Eloquy, And they are a plus size brand. So they're not going to have, you know, size zero through whatever their their sizes start at 14 14 through 28 but it is fashion driven style which i love because i know a lot of my friends who are plus size their complaints are that they can't find fashionable clothing yes a lot of the things that they're being offered in quote unquote plus size sections of stores are matronly yeah. or dowdy or big. Something that would be and more an
2: Elaine Bryant rather than in the same vein as a Forever 21, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if it isn't a Forever 21, they don't get the same styles. They don't get the same patterns. Yeah. They don't get things that are um, trending right now. And so Eloquy, what's cool about them is that they focus on making sure that their styles are trendy yeah, and fun. I love
2: that. So, yeah. So important. Well, I very much got a great education this week on things that I already knew a little bit about but definitely wanted to know more about I hope that everybody listening who is a shopper um, has a better understanding of how these companies play such a huge role in how we feel about ourselves and how we feel about the clothing that we wear and how we present ourselves in the world and so I'm glad that we got to kind of put some of these companies on blast it was fun for me (laughs)
1: fun and very upsetting so unbelievably soul, upsetting but, yeah.
2: but i like yeah, yeah. i like getting angry it's kind of the whole point of the show isn't it True. <laughs> All right. True, true. Very, very true. So we did discuss that there are a few more topics uh, within this kind of umbrella topic that we want to cover in the future. But if there's anything else that you would like us to cover in future episodes, please email us at neighborhoodfeminist@gmail.com at or message us on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. We have a Facebook business and group page. You can rate and review us on the business page and chat with the fellow listeners on the group page. I don't want to forget to mention that we now have... Have a merch store. So if you yeah. have not purchased your Angry Neighborhood Feminist merchandise, please go yeah, to Yeah, get the, someone an Angry
1: Feminist mug for Christmas. Right? You know, that sounds good. Get someone a
2: Rage on Tote. Mm -hmm. get a baby a slay the patriarchy onesie that's all I want I just want to see a baby in that onesie so yes send us your
1: pictures please
2: do we will put them on Instagram it's gonna be a party so if you are interested in getting any of that merch go to the link in our bio and have a great old time last but certainly not least if you haven't done so please hop on over to the Apple podcast app and leave us a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show it puts brightens our day, and it truly is the greatest way that you can help us. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all we have for you today. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to raise on. on. Bye
1: Hey, Jenny, have you um ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons and forces of
0: darkness? I do. Oh yeah, I've heard of her.
1: Cool. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one.
0: Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough
1: to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? (laughs) Your search
0: is (laughs) at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com.
2: Listen wherever you get your podcasts.